listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsfield with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the Mayor's Office in the city of Pittsfield. Thanks for tuning in. Today we have with us Sharon Frazier-McLean, Community Engagement and Equity Diversity Inclusion Coordinator at Barrington Stage Company. Within these roles, Sharon serves as a community liaison, teaching artist, equity officer, producer, and so much more. In 2020, Sharon was nominated for Berkshire Nonprofit's Rising Star Award. Equally important is her work in the community. Sharon is a member of the ministerial board of Price Memorial AME Zion Church, a member of the executive board at the Christian Center, and she does so much more. So we're going to get into what Sharon does in the community and just who she is as a person. So welcome, Sharon. Thank you, Roberta. How are you today? (laughs) I am good. Thank you. I'm good. Thank you. Today is actually a beautiful day. Yes, it is. You see, I came in with my shades on. I did. She, Sharon <laughs> came in as the star she is. I said, I have a celebrity in my midst. <laughs> All right. So where's hometown? Let's let's set the stage a little bit for our listeners. So I am actually a Connecticut girl. All right. We're in Connecticut. Um, I was born in Bridgeport, Connecticut, but okay. raised in Stratford, Connecticut. So okay. Fairfield County. Fairfield County. Now, is that far from here or? Absolutely not. So actually, it's only two and a half hours away. Okay. Okay. That's not bad. Do you get, do you go home often? I used to, Mm -hmm. but now my parents are still there. So my mom, my dad, and my sisters, they come up here more often. Okay. So I try not to go down there. And how long have you been in the Berkshires? I've been here 15 years. 15. All right. So what brought you here? So my sister moved here a long time ago. Um, I would say over 20 years ago mm-hmm. and um, she got married had a couple of kids and she had a really bad accident where she was disabled and she just needed some help mm-hmm. so I'm like you know time for a change let's try something new I came here and I loved it okay now what did you love about the Berkshires so coming from a big city this was like a peaceful place okay especially having children I felt like this was the best place to mm-hmm. raise kids right um, you know coming from a more urban place in Connecticut mm-hmm. a lot of gun violence and things like that right and especially having sons mm-hmm. I'm like I wanted to give them a chance you know like right. let's be real little black boys mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. they can become victims of their environment the I'm like the streets yes let's yeah. give them a chance to you know figure out who they are yeah. To have a safe place, so I know that feeling because, like, when I mean, I always tell the story growing up in the Bronx, um, and I've been away from the city for 20 plus years now. And when I do go back, there are parts of it that feel very familiar, but there's also parts that I don't even recognize anymore. And I couldn't imagine raising my kids in an environment because they have. They have a piece right now, and mm-hmm. there's a lot that they don't know. I love to joke with them and say, you guys are like suburban kids. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You don't even know. <laughs> so it's such a different environment, and um, I could see why you love this area. Now, what are some of the favorite things to do when, you know, are you an outdoors person? So or? <laughs> here's the funny part. I'm not an outdoors person okay. at all. But when my family and friends from home, they ask, why do you live there? It's so cold. Yeah. And all I do is send them pictures from the overlooks. But and isn't I'm it like, cold in Bridgeport? It is, but there's usually like a 15, 20 degree difference. Oh, okay. I mean, that's a big difference when we're, you know, negative 20 here and, you know, they're still like, yes, you know. Yeah. So um, 
I say, I think it's the artist in me. You know, I love to take pictures mm-hmm. of like the lake and the, from the mountaintops and okay. things like that. But I'm definitely not like a hiker or anything like that. You're so, the first because everyone who has come on is like, yes, I love to hike. No, I don't like bugs. No. I'm not an outdoor person. Mm. I drive there. I get out, take my pictures, jump back in and get out of there. Like, that's me. <laughs> so I got to give you a story. So I I like to hike. Um but I don't like camping. I tried camping one time, not here when we lived in upstate New York, and I don't, I don't like it. No, I, that's not me. I'm like, nope. I'd rather book a hotel. Yes, that's I, me. I need to have a bed. We can go glamping. We can go glamping. <laughs> we can have the whole setup. Yes, but I don't want to be sleeping on rocks. No, they make fun of me. I called myself hiking to the um, the waterfalls <laughs> um, up in Dalton, I believe it is. What? Which one is that? Um, um, I don't know, but it's so pretty, and like mm-hmm. you just walk through like. First of all, it was so many bugs, but everybody made jokes because I'm out there hiking and I have on like fur slides. What? And yeah, because I didn't know I had to walk there. Fur slides? Yeah. Oh no. So I just thought, you know, you can just like walk through the little pathway and you get to see the pretty waterfall. No, you got to <laughs> hike there. And yeah, I'm like, okay, let me get all my pictures and videos now because I'm never going back. So a little secret. Back in the day, um, I remember everyone used to use Avon Skin So Soft for like... <laughs> For like um a, like insect repellent yeah um and it worked so no my right. mom oh no 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 that takes me back to too much of that stuff it does yes okay we don't need it <laughs> well so you know what everyone has to find what works for them and I think that's the beauty of the Berkshires there's something for everyone absolutely so if the outdoors thing isn't necessarily your thing I want to know what were some of your extracurricular activities growing up so okay. So when I was little, I was in love with Whitney Houston, uh-huh. and I always wanted to be a singer. Uh-huh. So as you know, I sing now, but I just wanted to be a performer. And um, when I was in Connecticut, you know, my 20s, between my 20s and, you know, 25, um, I spent a lot of time performing. I was a contract karaoke singer. Really? Yes, and it was so much fun. Um, I was Connecticut's queen of karaoke. <laughs> and what I would do is I would go to different karaoke events and I would get paid to be like a... You ever see the movie Seat Filler? Where people yes. would like get paid to come and like yes. sit in the awards? Well, I would get paid to like amp the crowd up and sing in between people, you know, performing just to get people into the groove of karaoke. How did you get this gig? Um, I went to karaoke one day and met this guy and he was like, oh my gosh, you're phenomenal. I want you to come work with me. And so he, you were a plant. Listen, let me tell you, the money was so great. I quit my 40-hour job and worked in the nightclubs as a karaoke singer. It was phenomenal. So, you know, doing that for several years, it was like, okay, I got that out of my system. Um, Coming here was more like a peaceful place. Mm -hmm. Like I did the running around, you know, the nightclubs and Mm -hmm. all of that stuff. And it's like now, you know, I'm a mom, you know. I just want to relax and right. just raise kids. Mm-hmm. So here, I call this my peaceful place. Your peaceful place. Yes. Now, did you want to, when you came here and you shifted gears, did you think about, okay, how can I shift in terms of my vision for my future, professionally wise? So 
Um, I never wanted to be a professional singer. I okay. love to sing. Um, I feel like anytime you do something that you love and it turns to a job, yeah. then it takes the joy out of it. Interesting. So, yeah. So, and as you know, you know, being a minister now, yeah. I kind of sort of did this whole soul searching thing. And I was like, I can still sing, but I'm only going to sing for God. Mm. So I still get that feel. You know, every Sunday I get to sing in church. Right. So I still get to sing. Um, so, you know, it, it feeds that craving. Yeah. But more so, I think I'm at a point in my life where I kind of sort of want to pay the way for other people mm-hmm. you know i'm like i'm more so like i i really am in tune with young people okay you know <clears throat> so if singing was the passion mm-hmm. um but the passion didn't necessarily equate to the profession mm-hmm. what was your dream job or profession apart from singing so I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. Yes, I wanted to be a lawyer, but I was a teen mom. I had my first kid when I was 15 years old. Okay. And um, when I graduated from high school at 18 years old, I had two daughters then. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a three-year-old and an eight-month-old. Okay. And I was so really, really focused on, you know, not becoming a statistic. I never wanted to, you know, teen moms, you know, the first right. thing they think is, you know, you're on the system, you're getting right. government assistance and things like that. And, you know, my mom, she's one of those mm-hmm. I'm really, really strong independent women Mm -hmm. and she's like listen okay this is your situation this is where you are but this is not going to define you so Mm -hmm. you know you're going to have to work a lot harder to show people that you're not a statistic right so you know I really really I'm really good at arguing um, I love, love, love. I said I can make a perfect PI. Like uh-huh. I love to research. So I was like, I want to be a lawyer. Yeah. And um, <laughs> when I found out how long it takes to go to school, yeah, I was like, I can't do this with two small children. Mm-hmm. So what I ended up doing was I went to a business college for um, to become a legal secretary. Okay. And um, I loved it. And I went through the program, and as I'm going through, and you know, you do your um, your internship. Mm-hmm. I had an internship at a law firm, and the first thing the attorney said to me was, "You know, as a lawyer, the <laughs> he said the paralegals do all the work, and um, you know, we get all the big bucks." Now here I am, a legal secretary yeah. on the track to become a paralegal first, yeah. and I was like, "Oh no, that's not going to work for me." Did he say that in jest? Yeah, no, he just was like, "Yeah, I thought he think he was being funny." He was yeah, like, but. I'm like, uh, okay, that's not going to work for right, me. Right. You know, I can't do that. You know, I got kids. I got bills to pay. Right. But at the same time, too, I want to have ownership over what I do. Mm. So I um, I finished the program with just a certificate um, so I can work in a law firm, you know, yeah. learning basic law. Yeah. But I switched gears to business administration. I'm like, you know what? Let me open this up. Right. So I can, you know, go different places and do different things and not be limited because I'm like lawyer off the table. Right. <laughs> I, I too wanted to be a lawyer that was like my first career choice because everyone said I could argue well see <laughs> they were like you have to use your mouth or something that's right <laughs> so um, I, I definitely understand that um, so so business so you you thought that you were going to go into the business realm of things to be honest I am a I'm a caregiver at heart okay and I honestly believe that You know, I'm more so just putting tools in my belt. Mm -hmm. Like, again, like my mom, she's one of those people, you know, she's like, education is key. Get all the education you can. Right. And so I've went to school for all kinds of things. I mean, I did. I, you know, I got a degree in business administration Mm -hmm. with a legal specialization. But I also went to school for case management. Mm. Um, I went to school for um, nursing, you Mm. know, CNA. Um, I did. I got a home health 
um, home health aid certificate, mm-hmm. you know, because I always wanted to make sure I personally could pro- could provide for my kids. Right. So that way, regardless of, you know, whatever turns life took, I knew I can always get a job. You always had something. Yes, I could always get a job. Mm. So it's funny, though, you know, as I look back over my journey, I think it was all setting me up like to be the advocate that mm-hmm. I am today. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because just thinking about just your your work right now, I mean, community engagement, advocacy mm-hmm. is at the center of everything that you do. Did you have or were there certain individuals in your life, um, either here or back in Connecticut, that served as inspiration for your life of service? So... Um, I would say there's two ways that I look at my, the way that I um, conduct myself as far as a community liaison. Mm-hmm. Um, here, when I came here, I met some phenomenal people. You know, Mabel Hamilton, you know, mm-hmm. Reverend Louise Williamson, mm-hmm. you know, um, coming up under them in the church and watching how they advocated for, you know, kids in the community. Right. And just always, you know, being connected to where knowing what a need is and then yeah. just figuring out a way to fill the need. But then there's like Shirley Edgerton. You know, I love her. I love mm-hmm. her. I love her. I love her (laughs) because my first introduction to her was, you know, the rope program. Yep. You know, putting my girls in the rope program in Youth Alive. And, you know, I learned that she really takes the time to get to know the kids, figure out what they want and then position them in places to where they're they're successful. Right. And, you know, that's what I believe in. You know, I believe in strong foundation building. Mm -hmm. Um, I did, you know, again, having daughters here, you know, a lot of my house was like mother's house. You know, I don't play that going to sleep over people's house, but everybody's welcome here. (laughs) I mean, I have so many community children, (laughs) you know, Um, so just making sure that kids had a safe place, but also, you know, learning and getting to know them, figuring out what's missing, you know, and just making sure that kids know that they have a support system because it's so necessary so necessary you know especially in the black community you know everybody says it takes a village to raise a kid and you know everybody thinks it's a cliche right but it's so true it is i mean i think back to growing up and outside of my family i mean first of all one of the things that the show of respect you called people like aunt or uncle so i just yes. back in the day <laughs> i thought i had all these aunts and uncles right? <laughs> and it was i was like wait how are they related but but it was respect because you yes. never called adults by their names, Absolutely by their not. first names. It's just <laughs> you just don't do it. And even now, as someone a uh, forty three year old, I still if there's an elder, that's right, I will not call them by their first that's name right. because it's just respect, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but you're absolutely right. I think understanding that those people who would sow a seed of just encouragement, yes. um, they didn't necessarily have to be your blood family, but they they saw something in you. They want to encourage you as a young person coming up. So, so many people it takes to really oh, lift up and raise absolutely. a child. I say, you know, we, we have to remember that, you know, legacy is so important. Mm-hmm. And right now I tell everybody I'm legacy building, you know, yeah. um, coming here. I recognized a lot of the young people. Mm-hmm. The first thing that they say is I can't wait to turn 18 so I can get out of here. Mm. And it's so unfortunate because I'm like, you know, I want my kids to have pride in their hometown. Do they say why? You know, why? They, well, they always know. say, you know, there's nothing here and we know that's not true we know there's so much but then it makes me feel bad because it it lets us know that there's a piece that's missing you know that connection piece Mm -hmm. you know 
yes, there's so much here, but obviously people are not getting the information. Right. You know, so when I think about that, that's why anytime something comes up, I'm mm-hmm. like a sharing, 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 you know, within right. all networks to make sure the information gets out. Right. Because there's so many <laughs> missed opportunities. You're absolutely um, right. You know, the Berkshires, this is an arts and culture community. You know, mm-hmm. that's one thing that I love about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, I think that arts and culture is so important for people to have that creative space. Right. You know, I don't know about you, Sharon, but I remember growing up, we had like art and music in like it was built into our schedule. Uh It wasn't like an extracurricular activity. And so having that built in, it just it fostered a love um, for creativity, for that 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 way of thinking. And it's necessary because it also allows you to approach your schoolwork. Absolutely. In a different way. Absolutely. The point that you said about them feeling disconnected. I've always said, like, the Berkshires, there's three Berkshires. I call it the tale of three Berkshires. It's the haves, the have-nots, and the in-betweens. Yep. And people... Depending on where you fit in, that shapes your perspective Mm -hmm. off the Berkshire. Mm -hmm. So if you are tapped into everything, of course, this is a fabulous place. And me as a transplant, I do think the Berkshires is great. But I am also privy to hearing people who are from here um, who don't necessarily have the same kind of um, thinking about it as maybe someone who might come in from the outside Mm -hmm. or even maybe, you know, they could be a second home whoever you know there's different levels of thought um so how do you convince the young people to shift their thinking and want to stay well first of all um i meet people where they are Mm -hmm. you know and i take the time to get to know them and figure out you know what their strengths are Mm -hmm. you know i don't like to focus on the negative Mm -hmm. you know a lot of the times people are real quick to point out what's wrong with you right you know i want to know what's you know i want to tell you what's right with you Mm -hmm. you know and then from getting to know you and building a relationship then i can really really you know like you said from an outsider see you know Mm -hmm. what you're really good at right and then i can encourage you in those areas so now we're strengthening what's already strong inside of you right so then now you know you have this sense of empowerment um and then you know once i know what it is that a young person wants to do Mm -hmm. then i take it upon myself to figure out different ways to connect them on a path where we can build on that right you know that's one thing that i love about you know what i do at my job with the playwright mentoring project um I work with the DA's office with a group we call the Excel Group. It's, mm-hmm. it's um, a group of court-appointed students who, you know, instead of being arraigned, they get diverted into this program. Mm-hmm. And upon successful completion, you know, that that record gets wiped out. Okay. So, and let me tell you, these kids don't want to be there. And mm. I mean, I've encountered so many different situations, mm. you know, with students, you know, whether it's, um, you know, violence in the home, mm-hmm. you know, drug abuse, um, family drug abuse or themselves right. you know and I'm talking about these are kids that all they need is for somebody to say you're important mm-hmm. you know you can do this and just really really encouraging them and I want to tell you um, like the, these kids they don't really want to be there so mm-hmm. I make it a, I make it a challenge to myself how to do you break that ice them. though how do you get through to well them? first of all I'm, I bribe kids I'm not going to lie <laughs> I bribe my own I'm like you know what just come and try it I'm right. like come hang out with me I'm the coolest person you right. will ever meet And if you don't like it, um, you know, I won't be mad if you don't want to stay. But um, I help them find their voice. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so important to encourage that. And I think that once they come in, you know, everybody's a little curious, a little Mm -hmm. leery about, especially theater. You Mm -hmm. know, like, what is this? Right. You know, um, 
So as we spend time, you know, getting to know each other, first of all, I take off the authority figure hat, okay. the censorship. Right. We put youth in the forefront. Okay. You know, now it's like, this is your program. All I'm here to do is support you on the process. Okay. You know, so tell me what it is that you need and what you would like to get. And then we work on, you know, figuring out ways to get to that goal. Okay. So now, you know, young people, a lot of the times, like I said, you know, they don't have a voice. Yeah. You know, we're always being told what to do, especially someone who got in trouble. Right. You know, you have a probation officer telling you what to do. You have an attorney telling you what to do. You have the judge telling you what to do. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? I'm none of them. Come in as your true self, mm. you know, and I bring my true self. You know, I share some of my stories, you know, letting them know, guess what? I wasn't always together either. Right. You know, so everybody has a story. But right. how could we take this opportunity to share your story in a sense where you walk away with that sense of empowerment? And do you feel like setting the scene that way and and, and allowing them to be themselves do they soften and allow you in? Absolutely. So, absolutely. So, um, <laughs> some of the kids, um, you, like I said, you see the one, especially the boys. Yeah. You know, they're like 17, 18 years old. I'm too cool to be here. This mm-hmm. is, you know, theater. Like, what are you people talking about? You know, when people think about theater, all they think about is plays, you know, right. musicals. And, and to them, they're like, this is corny. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, this is not what this is. You know, right. this is an opportunity for you to set the stage for yes. yourself. So I tell, this is what, how I always start my programs. I tell the kids, um, imagine yourself standing at the top of a mountain. I give you a megaphone. You can say whatever it is that you want to say, mm-hmm. right? Anybody in your life who you feel like is not listening to you, place them in the audience, and we're going to put tape over their mouth. They can't speak. All they can do is listen. What do you want to tell them? Oh, and then I mean, and so much comes out of that, you know, kids, you know, they talk about the issues with DCF. They really Mm -hmm. open up, Mm -hmm. you know, um, the struggles with parents, you Mm -hmm. know, not being able to be heard. You have Mm -hmm. children who are the adults in the situation because the parents are on drugs. So just being able to verbalize these things. Mm -hmm. And then also, you know, we have a therapist that works with us. Right. So, you know, we're not professionals in that area at all. But also taking care, you know, recognizing that there has been trauma, Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't want to trigger anyone, but we do want to create this, you know, this brave space for people to be able to share those stories. Right. And, um, you know, so once I set the stage like that, then the next question is, how do you want to do it? Yeah. You know, so now if you love music, you know, we had a kid who who loved music, you mm-hmm. know. Oh, you want to rap? Cool. Let's put some music in there. You know, it's your show. Do it however you want. You know, we had an artist, um, a kid. He was a phenomenal drawer. Yeah. And um, he drew the artwork for the program. So everybody might not be an actor. You know, mm. if I see a leader in the group, I'm going to encourage them to be the director. You know, you don't feel comfortable being the actor sharing your story. Yes. Pick somebody in the group to be that. And guess what? You're going to be the director. So now I need you to tell them how to act, how to respond, how you felt. So you equip them with leadership. Absolutely. Capabilities. Absolutely. I think it's so important with that age group, mm. you know, to really mm. um, we do feel focus a lot on conflict resolution mm-hmm. because we know in high school, you know, you, there's a lot of stuff coming up against you. Right. And we want to focus on positive outcomes. But I really, truly believe that these kids need to know that everybody's a leader that's and we right. need to tap into that leader in you because that's, that's right. what's going to propel you forward. Absolutely. And like you said, oftentimes or sometimes they might not even hear that from anyone, exactly. even though that leader exists within them. Mm-hmm. They don't have anyone around them to tell them that. Now, after the program, 
are you able to keep up with former um, former students, former participants? Do you so, know if they've kept up their, their progress? So, unfortunately, with that program, um, there isn't a lot of follow-through. Mm-hmm. But because I'm true to relationship building, um, a lot of the kids, I see them in the community, and yeah. I do check in with them. Yeah. Um, and they're so excited to like tell me, you know, I got a job, or you know, I'm going to school, and things like that. I love those success stories. Yeah. But also, one of the things that I do do is... Um, in all of the programming that we have in our theater, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a writing workshop or something like that, if I remember, you know, what that child was good at, yeah. I always invite them back. Oh, that's good. So, yeah. So, I mean, I'm really, I'm more so, I don't believe in one-off, that's you know, right. one-off interactions. I believe you don't truly see the impact until you've done some follow-through, you know, okay. over the course of some time. But also, I want to see everybody succeed. Right. So, I'm like, this is just the start. You know, you don't want to open up Pandora's box and give somebody a voice and then kind of sort of like right. not want to be there along the journey still mm. supporting them. So true. So <laughs> we got into a lot <laughs> of the work, but, like but, great but this, this is good though because <laughs> I wanted to know how, just in terms of just with Barrington stage. I mean, you are you're doing so much, and one. I wanted to know, how are you able to sort of spread your wings? You're doing a lot in a lot of different areas. Did you define your work and say, this is what I want to do? Because it seems like it's a perfect match. So no. <laughs> how, are, how are you able to fill this space in such okay, a perfect so way? Okay, so here comes the preacher in me now. Okay. Sorry, but um, <laughs> this definitely was not my idea. Okay. Um, I literally, I was working as an office manager in a mental health office. Okay. And um, one day I got an email. Okay. And I was invited to speak on a panel at Barrington Stage to, um, I did a research project within Pittsfield for okay. um, access to the arts. Okay. And what we did was we, we created a survey for Pittsfield residents, um, mainly West Side um, residents and Morningside residents, okay. to figure out what were the barriers that were keeping them from participating in the arts. Mm. Um, so I did that for a summer. And, you know, I met a lot of people, you know, just asking these questions. And, you know, the things that were coming out of it, you know, were things like transportation, you know, um, people's finances, you know, content. And I was like, yeah, okay, you know, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. But then um, so I went and spoke at this panel because it was for funders, you know, trying to get more money to further the work. Right. And um, I met the development director, Jessica Province, okay. And I said to her, I said, you guys have a program here that I want to participate in. I would love to volunteer. And it was the Playwright Mentoring Project. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, great. I would love to connect you with the director of education. Mm-hmm. Um, you just missed the program. It just ended. But we'll keep you in mind for next year. Okay. So I was like, okay, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. I'm around. I'm all over Pittsfield. Right. You know, so I knew we'd cross paths again. So um, one day at work in the office at the mental health clinic, I get an email from yes. Jessica. Okay. And she She's like, hey, we're hiring for a community engagement coordinator. I would love for you to apply. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, um, I'm not looking for a job. I was comfortable. You know, we're uh-huh. that comfortable piece. Right. I was comfortable. So I wasn't looking. So I kind of blew the, you know, I blew it off. Yeah. Um, and then a couple months later, that email popped up again. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, God, what are you trying mm-hmm. to tell me? So you yeah. told them no the first time. I didn't say anything. You I just, just kind of fo- just oh. left it. Yeah, okay. I just kind of like just left it. Like, because I said I wasn't looking, right. you know. <laughs> so it came up again. So then something inside of me was like, 
just go see. You know, yeah. it's literally around the corner. Yeah. You know, take one of your lunch breaks, walk over there and go for an interview. Yeah. So that's what I did. Okay. And I ended up meeting um, Jane O'Leary, the director of education, who's my <laughs> boss now. And I loved her. Yeah. I mean, we had so many similarities on and with the passion that we have for young people. Yeah. And, you know, just how we want to expose everybody to the arts because we know how important yes. it is. And, you know, so when I was leaving that conversation with her, she yeah. said, you know what? Even if this isn't the right role for you, I'm going to find something for you. Mm-hmm. And um, literally before I left, uh, so I go back yeah. and um, she's like, I want you to meet Julie Boyd. Yeah. So we set up an interview with Julie and um, we had a great conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like Julie confirmed everything that she said. Yeah. And she told me, literally, I just want to reach more people. Right. You know, um, we know that this has been a predominantly white, you mm-hmm. know, um, mm-hmm. sector for so long. You know, how do we get minorities in mm. to be able to enjoy what we offer, too? Mm-hmm. So, um you know, I, and I heard that and I'm like, yes, that's one thing, you know, especially knowing, you know, especially being an art person, you know, being fortunate enough to right. have these exposures in my life, but thinking about the ones who don't have the opportunities. Right. So I left that office and as I'm walking, it was funny, your husband called me and he's like, hey, I heard you just interviewed at <laughs> Barrington Stage Company and I haven't even got back to my office. I mean, a three minute walk right. around the corner. <laughs> I'm like, yes, I did. Um He's like, I told them they'd be a fool not to hire you. I'm like, okay, thank you. I still wasn't sure. Right. So, you know, I got an offer yeah. email and I was like, you know what? I'm going on vacation. Let me think about it. Because um, I was afraid, you know, yeah. that unknown, you know, stepping into uncharted waters. Yeah. I, I don't know a lot about the theater. I didn't at that time. So it was totally new. Yes. But I didn't know people. I didn't know how to communicate with people. So um, I accepted the offer and I put in my two week notice. And the funny part about it was five days after I started at Barrington, my office closed where I was working. And I said, see, this is how God works. He always provides an opportunity for you when we don't know what's awaiting for us. So you, wait, wait, you had no idea they were closing? I'm talking about the whole office completely and totally shut down. Non-existent. Like files packed up, like moved boxes. Non-existent. Like the the director from there called me and was like, five days after I left, and was like, the office just closed. Um, we don't have a job. Wow. And I'm like, see, this is how God works. But the crazy part was, yeah, going into Barrington. You know, um, Julie was like, we don't know what this job is. I just want you to go ask this question, and that was, you know, why aren't people coming? Figure this out for so me. So that was like your thesis. Yeah. Why aren't people coming? And yeah. from that, we. We built this whole position wow. around that and, <laughs> and it has ballooned into so much but it was more so I kind of sort of had those answers from the research project that I did yeah. but also knowing it was so much bigger than that mm. you know now like stepping into the theater world and really getting the other side like knowing about you know like all of the systemic racism mm-hmm. and things like that that I didn't know about yeah. because I wasn't in the loop and um I really appreciated the fact that Barrington acknowledged this, Hmm. you know, and they wanted to do better. So I'm all on board. So I told Julie, I said, hey, you know, I love this. I said, great. The only thing that I ask is if I go out and ask these questions, if I go out and bring people in, I want to make sure my people are treated right. Mm -hmm. So that set us on this long journey Mm. of, you know, EDI training. That's the first step to effective EDI training. Um, There has to be the willingness. Yes. And obviously Barrington stage um, has demonstrated from the very beginning their willingness to do this work. So you mentioned Warren. So just for, you know, full disclosure, Warren, he is a board member on Barrington stage. So I just mentioned that because he was like, just so people, 
people can understand why he would call Sharon. Yes, yes. He, he was very happy for Sharon to be able to um, to 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 be a part of the Barrington stage family, but. There, it's it says something um, about Barrington Stage that they wanted to be uncomfortable because EDI Absolutely. work is uncomfortable work. It's not easy. It sounds like it like it's trendy <laughs> and fun, it's but it is uncomfortable because it's filled with uncomfortable conversations. Absolutely, and both sides need to be willing to do that work. And so how did you sort of navigate this terrain that basically you have carved out? So, again, um, building a relationship with the administrative team. Yeah. Um, that was really important for me to know the intention behind the work. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, especially knowing, you know, nowadays this was like a cliche. Yeah. You know, everybody, you know, EDI is trending. Yeah. But what is the intentionality behind the mm-hmm. work? Mm-hmm. So for me, it was like we had this covenant, you know, me and Julie and Jane, it was kind of sort of like we're true allies, mm-hmm. you know, and, and um, to me, it took a lot of humility for the acknowledgement of harm in the first place. A lot of places I saw were like not even in a place of acknowledging that this is an issue or a problem or it needs to be addressed. Right. You know, people are real comfortable in their bubbles. So how do we shake that tree? Right. And I thought it was kind of funny. Here it is an older white lady, like the one who's like the radical, like this isn't right. We need to do something. But also recognizing that she didn't have the answers. Right. So let me call someone who who could actually get in and get the answers and get, you know, have authentic conversation. Mm -hmm. So it was like for me, I call it the double edged sword yeah you know yes i'll go out and i'll interact with with community members who are comfortable talking with me but also i'm letting them know the reason why we're doing this is because i'm paving a way for you right you know my goal is to create a pipeline for more minorities into this sector Mm -hmm. but also then again on the other side this this powerful organization you know okay we've done this we've engaged now what are we doing and constantly you know checking in you know we've done this you know what are we doing next like making sure that we're on a true journey Mm -hmm. and um, you know I love at this point now it's like we're all on the same page Mm. you know we've created these guiding principles where you know we're making these commitments you know we're saying black lives matter are we just saying this are we truly valuing people right that's that that is important because there is and no pun intended but there's the performative Absolutely. element to um, people putting principles out there and it's very easy to say this is what we believe but then you maybe look and you're like well how are you backing that up? That's right. What are you actually <laughs> doing to back up your statements or your principles or whatever and so it's very important to sort of marry the two Absolutely. and make sure that there's synergy so that takes me to, then to your um, the Black Voices Matter um initiative at Barrington Stage. Tell me about that, um, what that entails, and what we'll see in 2022. Okay, so Black Voices Matter. So let's go back to 2020. George Floyd just got murdered. Mm-hmm. Breonna Taylor, you know, the world's in an uproar. Mm-hmm. Um, every company you can think of is is putting out a, a statement, Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Well, Barrington Stage put on their marquee, Black Lives Matter. And I said to Julie Boyd, I said, um, I love this, but what are we going to do about it? Mm-hmm. You know, are we just going to make a statement? Because I was getting all sorts of emails. I mean, the makeup companies, you know, Forever 21. Th- like, know. all of these companies just randomly sending out this statement yeah. saying Black Lives Matter. Yeah. But there was no action yeah. behind it. Yeah. So now recognizing, you know, we were already on this journey. Mm-hmm. You know, we started cultural competency. Mm-hmm. You know, we started implicit bias, white privilege. We were already doing these things internally. Mm-hmm. But at this point, I felt like we needed to start shining something on the outside. 
like now Mm. because especially knowing you know art you know the healing power behind it you know that lending a voice you know what could we do as an organization to address Mm -hmm. you know even what's going on in our community right um then a a document came out called the we see you white american theater document Mm. and it was written by a group of um, black artists who basically called out a bunch of white-run theaters, you know, for the mistreatment and all of the, you know, racial injustice, blatant racism that they were experiencing. Were these Broadway actors? Yes. Yeah. I want to say, I believe there were over 200 of them. Hmm. And our theater was one of the ones on that list. Really? Yes. And um, and I and so I read the document. It was 33 pages long. And as a black woman myself, I said, you know what? I believe that this list is a response to something that everybody experienced. So what are we going to do Mm -hmm. to address these things? What could we do at our organization? You know, we can't be responsible for the whole world, but we can be responsible for our piece of the pie. You know, what could we do Mm -hmm. to make sure these things that don't happen again? So we, you know... I have a quick question. Was it, was there shock and or surprise to the the findings in that um, piece by the organization for at least having Barrington included in that because so I would say well I can't speak for anyone else but I would say yes definitely shock yeah you know especially knowing um, the desire yeah to do. Um, you know, Barrington started opening up and really starting to do pieces addressing, you know, mm-hmm. social justice issues. You know, well-intentioned white people. Yeah. You know, American Sun yeah. was one of the larger ones. American Negro 2.0. You know, really starting to open the door of telling other stories mm-hmm. um, to educate people. So I think that, you know, once that initial shock of this 33-page document mm-hmm. coming out, it was like, okay, but we get it. You know, so when I was when I received the document and I looked over it and that was Julie said to me, she said, you know, what do you think? And I said, simply, this is the this is, you know, people reacting to what they experience. Yeah. So more so. So it takes away that, um, you know, we're not going to look at this in a negative. Mm -hmm. We're going to be proactive and we're going to look at, well, what could we do to help these artists? Right. Because we are truly trying to make our place more inclusive. So how do we put these safeguards in place? Right. So that kind of sort of made us ramp up the work that we were doing. So now we're not only just, you know, doing that basic, you know, Mm. cultural competency training, you know, learning the language, Mm -hmm. you know, we're more so in a place of action. It, it says a lot about Barrington stage that the response was not that of defensiveness. No, absolutely because not. sometimes, <laughs> again, when you're brought face to face with criticism, it's human nature to become defensive if you don't like something or you oh, feel absolutely. like, but we've been doing it. And yeah. it, no, it was all right. Well, we need to do more. Well, and it also right. made us look at how we were doing and how we were addressing mm. things. Um, you know, it made us look at. You know, when we're telling the stories, you know, who's telling the story? You know, why are we telling the story? You know, we can't have a white director directing a black story. Mm -hmm. You know, there's not that connection as far as, you know, the experience, you know, the empathy of the struggle and things like that. Well, there's also nuance. There you go. Exactly. So, you know, making sure that we were intentionally planning our seasons, Mm -hmm. you know, again, um, what stories do we need to tell? You know, what's going on in the world? What do we need to use this platform right. to address in an artistic manner? Mm. And um, one thing that I loved about it and, you know, still love about the journey that I'm on with um, the organization mm-hmm. is the constant accountability check. Okay, you know, what, what does that look like? That's one thing that people... So what we did was we, um, we, we made this 
when we looked at the document, yeah, and we took we picked that document apart. I mean, each demand, you know, what are we already doing? You know, what could we do better? Yeah, and what do we want to do? Mm. So it's like so. There's like. There's always that forward thinking part too. Like this is never going to be enough, but what else could we do in the future? So we made commitments to some things, you know, um, and 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 they were like addressing those needs. So you know, like if a, a black woman comes in and she's a part of a show, we're going to make sure there's a black hairdresser right. that knows black hair right. that could be able to you know uh, fulfill her needs, you right. know, in a manner to where she feels good right. and the job is done properly. But also. Um, you know, so as we're thinking about those things, big things and small things, you know, right. even hiring practices, you know, what safeguards are put in place for minorities coming into a predominantly white, you know, organization. Mm. So I really think that it took for the organization to humble themselves mm. and say, you know what, mm -hmm. we've been doing this wrong. But guess what? We're committing to do things better. And one thing that I said to everybody, especially yeah. being, you know, at the time being one of the only mm. one of two um, minorities, mm. let's say black people mm -hmm. in the building, right. you know, um, I appreciate the the oops, you know, like I made a mistake, you know, but I'm, I want to correct it. You know, I appreciate that. And not putting me in the place of the one to have to educate you for you learning, you know, take responsibility for educating yourself. Mm -hmm. But I respect the um, I tell people you're going to make mistakes, right. you know, because I wanted to take the stress away from it. You know, there's right. no, you know. Everybody gets scared, you know. I don't want to say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're talking about it. We called it what it is. You right. know, this is anti-racist right. work. You got to you know? call a thing a thing. Exactly. Right. So when we, you know, so we when we acknowledged it, I said, you know, there were three things. You know, you have to acknowledge it, you know, and then you have to take action. Mm -hmm. And then there's accountability for that action. Right. So as long as we're modeling this, and, and again, like you say, it's okay. It's okay. You know, I made people comfortable. You know, you're going to make mistakes, and it's okay to make a mistake. It's all about what you do after the mistake, the correction piece. You are so on point. You don't know what you don't know, but if Absolutely. there's a willingness that's right. to know, that's right. That's the starting point. That's right. All right. So with 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 Black Voices Matter, um, there was a festival. There yes. were different things. So, so going back to the Black Lives Matter, yeah. you know, it made me think about the perfect way to address this whole situation mm -hmm. is to give the black community something for themselves. Okay. You know, not in a white, in a white savior manner, yeah. you know, like, oh, or a charity manner, yeah. but let's lend, let's amplify your voices. Okay. You know, so Black Voices Matter came about as just a platform for artists to be, or just community members yeah. to be able to sort through the feelings behind all of the, you know, what was going on at that time, you mm. know, and um, with no censorship. So that's why for me, it was important for it to be a separate platform. Mm -hmm. You know, we can't censor people's feelings, you know, hurt is hurt, you know, but I truly feel that somebody can learn just because we don't identify the same. Right. You can learn from my raw emotion, because guess what? At the core, we're all human. Right. We all have a heart that pumps blood. That's right. We all have feelings, you know. So I believe that, you know, let's create this platform mm. where um, we can educate people. Mm -hmm. We can empower the people who are speaking. And then as a community, we can celebrate who we are, you know, our history, okay. our heritage, you know, um, all the things, all the quirky things that make us us. Right. You know, so Black Voices Matter is the umbrella initiative okay. where there's three parts of it. Of which um, you are the creator and yes. producer. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Um, so it is a 
there's an educational component mm-hmm. where, like I said, I believe that um, when we talk about race issues, education is so important. Mm-hmm. So with this educational piece, what we did was we um, we found a black playwright by the name of Idris Goodwin. Okay. And Idris Goodwin has a series of these short plays. They're one act plays that he allows people to use for free. So you can reproduce them for free. All he says is don't change my material. Uh-huh. But you can produce it any way you want to. Okay. So what we did was we took this series of five plays. Yeah. We called on local um, local people to be our actors. Uh-huh. And um, we did Zoom readings. And so my co-producer for um, Celebration of Black Voices, Mel Powers, she's mm-hmm. this phenomenal, phenomenal powerhouse. Yeah. Um, she's a director. She's an EDI principal. Wow. Like she's, yes, so she does EDI training. Yeah. Um, you know, she's an actress. Yeah. So she's all of these things. So mm-hmm. I'm like, I call us like, it was a perfect marriage between the two. <laughs> um, definitely, I handle like the people connecting. Yes. You know, like the, like I say, she's like the wings behind my vision, mm-hmm. you know, because she has all of the experience putting things together. So I called on her to direct these pieces. So as we're bringing in community members and, you know, content, um, one of this plays is about gun violence. Mm. You know, teaching a parent, teaching her young black son, Mm. you know, why he can't play with water guns. Mm. You know how it's not safe. Mm -hmm. You know, we did one about um, one we just did recently called Black Flag, you know, where a young black college student, Mm -hmm. a young woman, um, her roommate was a young white southern woman. Mm -hmm. um, And the first thing she does when they move into their apartment is uh, ask her to help her hang her Confederate flag. You know, so things like this. So they're great visuals for people to see. Mm. And but the best part is the conversation. Mm-hmm. after. So there's always a live stream of the content. But then we just have conversation with community members. Wow. Where, you know, now it's like everybody walks away from this, you know, whether you're a little uncomfortable. Right. Right. But it might spark something in you, a little bit of empathy, you know, like, wow. Or maybe I need to learn, uh-huh, you know. Uh-huh. So um, there's such great pieces. But what I love about that process is that with Mel, you know, being an EDI, you know, trainer, yeah. she really takes time in the rehearsals to educate the cast. You know, some of the shows that we do have um, white actors that engage, but making sure people understand the content, mm. you know, and I'm talking about whether it's a history lesson. Mm-hmm. I mean, sister comes in there yeah. with videos, right. um, you know, you know, we did one with Tamir Rice's mother, you know, mm. um, sharing her experience about, you know, what happened with her son. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we did one called Act Free, mm. where it addressed, you know, the emancipation of the slaves. But mm-hmm. these young slave kids didn't know they were going to be they didn't know they were free mm-hmm. or didn't know what they would do next. Right. So, you know, making sure people understood. I mean, there were interviews with um, people that lived on plantations, wow. you know, really doing the research to make sure everyone's understanding. So that way, when you're going into to these characters right. you can truly embody the character Wow! so that's the educational component so we make sure that you know we have a tool for educating people mm-hmm. and a visual just making sure that they can you know see and feel the emotions of people mm-hmm. who are truly experiencing these things um, and then there's a digital platform mm-hmm. we have a website um, okay. and it's an extension of Barrington Stage's website um, called Black Voices Matter where we highlight, you know, local artists, you know, we give people the opportunity to submit their work, whether it's a song, whether it's a play, whether it's a, you know, a picture, anything that they have that they want to get out there. Huh. Um, we allow them to submit these pieces and then we put them on the website. 
Um, but more so, I look at that as a networking tool. Right. You know, I've been in so many rooms where people say we don't hire BIPOC artists because there aren't any. Well, guess what? I got you a whole bunch. I found them. So you guys <laughs> have created this pipeline. Yes, that's my goal. The whole ultimate goal is to create a pipeline and multiple entry points, though, not just the pipeline, right. but multiple entry points into, you know, the arts and culture sector. So that's going to continue for that's probably ongoing. That's forever. Forever. Yes, so that's forever. For, uh, will we see a new slate of like for the festival for 2022? So now Black Voices Matter Live. Yes. That's where Celebration of Black Voices Festival comes out Yay. of, you know, making sure the performers <laughs> have a live stage to perform on. So this year we're already preparing for the festival. Excellent. Um, it's going to be the second week of August. I want to say that Thursday, August 11th uh-huh. until Sunday. Um, there's still going to be seven events. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, there's going to be an adult talent show with cash prizes. Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be a poetry slam slash story slam. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also going to be a adult comedy show okay. with a local um, comedian who I've met who reached out because of the initiative. Okay, So it's like a welcome home event for her to Great. be able to headline her own comedy show in her community. Nice. Um, I'm just loving it because it's an opportunity to meet so many more artists. Um, there's other events, you know, something for everybody. Um, but truly, the part that I really love is an uh, authentic space, right. you know, for these artists, you know, not censoring what they do. You know, I always mm. tell people, I don't care what you do, just monitor the language because mm-hmm. we do keep it family friendly. Right. Um, I do love the part that everybody who steps on the stage is paid mm. because knowing, looking at history, you know, when it comes to black artists, you know, we haven't been able to be the owners of our creativity for a long time. Mm-hmm. And just respecting the fact, the craft and people's time. Right. So, you know, everybody who steps on that stage receives a stipend. Um, also, when it comes to the festival as a whole, you know, I love to employ community members. Mm-hmm. So there's always opportunities for community members to come out and be host, um, you know, ushers, you know, have people come do setup. And so all- if people right now are interested in this festival that's going to happen later, where should they go? So they can always reach out to me. Okay. Um, they can email me. Okay. My information's everywhere. Okay. So S. Fraser McLean at Barrington Stage Co. dot org. Or they can contact me um, 413-997-6118. Um, or they can hit up our website. Like, there's so many different ways yes. too. But I'm I everywhere. just want to make sure because I, because <laughs> you know, I have to. I'm like interviewer and I'm engineer too, and I'm looking at the time. I'm like, we have ten minutes, yes. but I wanted to make sure that people know where they can go because this is this is needed. Yes, it's needed, and I just want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing because um, I too have been at shows um, mm-hmm. and. Uh, it's it's very homogenous, you know, and oftentimes, you know, I mean, it's clear that there isn't that that balance absolutely isn't, isn't there, and and I think delving in deeper as to why people aren't showing up, the answer um, can be point can be linked to so many different factors, you absolutely. know, because people would automatically say, well, it's it might be this, and no, it's not just it's not just price, it's not just pro, it's a whole you know um, amalgam of, yeah. of factors coming together. Ultimately, people also want to feel welcome. There you go. So can I tell you one thing that I did? So, you know, community engagement, the way that I addressed that role, Mm -hmm. you know, I told um, the organization, I said, you know, we want to focus on intentional relationship building. Mm -hmm. You know, that's important. We're not focused on, you know, making sure there are black faces, you know, Latino faces in the crowd for shows, you know, pertaining to their culture. And, um, 
it was so important to shift from audience development mm-hmm. to true community engagement. Um, something you said earlier, which really sparked, you know, something in me. You know, you talked about that piece where when we're going out and we're engaging communities, you know, it's like collecting people. Hmm. You know, we're not collecting people. You know, you talked about the communities within the community. You said there's like three communities. Well, my goal is to break down all of those silos, Mm. you know, using art as the vehicle to Mm -hmm. break down those silos, because I think people truly need to understand that we live in the city of Pittsfield. It's one community. You know, we have to do the work to break down those barriers between people. You know, there's nothing in the mail that comes and say, (laughs) you know, um, you live in the west side of Pittsfield, you know, the lower income part of Pittsfield. No, everybody has a story. So my goal is to truly use um, my role to allow people to rewrite these narratives. Hmm. You know, and I think that once we find ourselves in a space of engaging each other in relationships, mm-hmm. then it starts to take away that uneasiest behind the unknown. Absolutely, because when we get to know one another, we also realize that we have so much more in common yes, with those both. common grounds. If people could <laughs> just sit down and have conversation yes. and strip away the preconceived notions, yep. strip away everything <laughs> you've learned and just and see the you think and everything you think <laughs> and just say hey let's have a conversation That's right. you might be surprised there you go i tell people all the time because guess what all black people didn't grow up in poverty you know it's, <laughs> listen it's i listen um <laughs> it's funny when we do these intersectionality there's no monolith i like to there's no That's monolith right. That's, right. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I always like to remind people, you know, of the intersectionality, you That's know, right. like we always we have some identities that are the same. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's the, I think within every community you're going to have your variation and the Absolutely. same applies for within black communities. I always say I'm always specific and say communities That's right. because the singular black community doesn't exist like that because within the black community are exactly. different communities. <laughs> you have Caribbean communities, you have African communities, That's right. you have I mean, and then you let's let's go by geography. Then you have the people who are in the north, in the south. That's right. So it there's so much variation, but. You know, I think what we do have, we're we're connected. We're connected by that common desire to just definitely just go through life and be able to participate to the fullest in life. We're connected by that. Um, And we have talked so much about Barrington Stage (laughs) and it's been great. But I want to get to your work with Price Memorial before our time runs out. Tell me about your your work as as a minister there because your the, the your faith is extremely important to you. So I want the the listeners to know that as well. So absolutely. So for myself, everything is centered around mm-hmm. my faith. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the work in the community and all of that. So as you know, I am the director of music at Price Memorial. Again, takes me back to my music, my passion <laughs> for music. Um, and you know, my goal is to just find a way to just connect to people Mm -hmm. you know if music is the way I tell people all the time you know somebody might come to church and they might not be ready to hear a word but they might hear a song that might spark something in them to Mm -hmm. say hey I want to know who God is Mm -hmm. I want to know a little bit more about this man you know they call Jesus Mm -hmm. you know so I truly um, I know we talk about my work my passion and you know church is all separate but for me they're all the same because to be honest my faith is what allows me to do the work that I do you know um, I model myself you know it's the same thing as evangelism Mm -hmm. you know going out meeting people and connecting people and and supplying their needs Mm -hmm. you know i truly feel that art is something that's so important as a whole you know when we're thinking about our well-being you know whether it's a coping mechanism Mm -hmm. you know an outlet 
you know. So when I think about the work that I do for church, I look at my ministry as a community ministry. Um, I'm bringing all the principles mm-hmm. of the church, the Bible, and all of that to how I engage with people. And I think that's what allows me to have the grace mm-hmm. when I'm walking into some of these rooms where I know I'm not welcome. Mm. You know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit is with me, <laughs> so I'm confident. God brought me here. He ain't going to throw me out here, you know, to be treated any kind of way. Mm-hmm. But also, that's how I kind of sort of lead in, like, my EDI training. You know, pretty much treat people how you want to be treated. Right. And I feel like if people could adopt that simple concept and truly, you know, yes. walk in that, yeah. then we could start to heal a lot of the hurt and the harm that mm. has happened. Right. So I truly believe that the work that I'm doing, because I didn't go to school for none of this, mm. but it's the life experiences and all the things that God brought me through that ties everything together. And I'm like, I know for a fact I'm not on this walk by myself. So as I'm moving forward, you know, he's bringing, he's connecting me to more people who mm-hmm. are truly, you know, wanting to do the work and really, really, you know, wanting to capitalize on the opportunities. Yeah. Um, so I say I definitely pray a lot more. Okay. Um, you know, just making and it's more so prayers for other people. Yeah. You know, the people that I encounter. Yeah. You know, you know, God, what could I do to help this person? Yeah. You know, knowing, you know, what my resources are. Right. You know, um, and it takes me to the programming, you know, that we do. Again, our educational program at Barrington Stage Company, you know, um, it's truly, you know, just we figure things out. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a we don't turn anybody away. You know, the same way you go to the church, they're not going to turn you away. That's our motto, right. you know, and that's one thing that I love is, you know, we find a child, we might find those hidden gems. Right. You know, oh, this kid is phenomenal. They're, they're really, really good. They don't know this. But now that they've been exposed, you right. know, let's invite them to one of our programs. Forget about how much it costs. Right. You know, we find scholarships. So all of our programming, we make sure anybody that wants to participate can participate. Mm. And to me, that lends back to that evangelism, you know, that giving people what they need, you know, that of it's so important to have that confidence and that that sense of self-worth right so to me it's all it's it, everything is coming full circle at interconnected this point. yes absolutely <laughs> and you and I, I could see it's a perfect fit i mean it's the blend of two worlds that just blend seamlessly yes so. i have a job that does not feel like work <laughs> Absolutely. And you still get to sing. Yes. And absolutely. you still get to sing. All right. We have about three minutes left. So I just want to, I'm going to just ask you, do you have a personal goal for 2022 that is on your heart? So a personal goal for 2022. So I don't want to assume anyone knows my story. So as you know, Roberta, mm-hmm. my daughter passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, my oldest daughter passed away in 2016. And she was the reason why I, I made this shift. Mm-hmm. Like I say, you know, one thing about it is when you bury your child, you learn that time means nothing, you know, and it, and it kind of sort of sparked something in me that made me want to be more like her. You know, one thing about it, she was uh, she was everywhere. She was like a free spirit, mm-hmm. but she walked in her truth. You know, she was an artist. You know, she loved to write. And it made me want to embody all the things that were important to me. Right. You know, I got back to, you know, my writing, you know, and really, really working on that self-care piece. So my goal for 2022 is more self-care. Okay. I'm unapologetically telling people no. Good. You know, I'm, I'm doing the, my part Good. and then stepping away. Good. To also, but also in a respect of a respectable manner, giving people space mm-hmm. to you know figure it out 
the way they want to shape things for themselves. So I'm truly at a place of peace right now. Good. And I and I again that goes back to my faith, you know, yes. God turning something around that was meant to destroy me for something that actually built me up and empowered me. So I tell everybody now I'm like wherever I go, I take her with me because that's my reminder mm. that, you know, you got to keep pushing, you got to keep right. going, but also do what makes you happy. And I can truly say at this stage in my life, at 40 years old, yes. I am truly happy with where I am and what I'm doing. And I'm so glad you're happy. <laughs> and you look you look amazing. Thank you. And your, your insides are showing on your outsides. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Sharon, I just want to thank you so much. For I thank a you for rough, having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you for all that you're doing. Thank you for being a bridge in our community. We need more bridges. Absolutely. And I just want to thank you. Everyone, you've been listening to Backstory. Let's hear it on WTBRFM Pittsville with Roberta McCulloch-Dews of the mayor's office in the city of Pittsville. I want to thank you for listening and have a great day.